my Lord and my God. I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask you for pardon of my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Mother Immaculate, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. The new year, according to the civil calendar, has been rung in. For many students, a new academic term commences. It's a good opportunity for you and me to examine ourselves and to do so conscientiously. How well did I use my time last year? Did I work hard? Did I study as much as I might have? How was my spirit of service? Did I pray often? We need to be generous towards God, who will not be outdone in generosity. Towards our parents and family, to whom we owe it to work or study hard, and to our neighbour, who may well benefit or suffer, depending on how we use our time. Dublin City, like many other cities, has quite a few statues. On a recent bus journey to the city centre, I noticed some tourists gesturing towards a statue commemorating Oscar Wilde. The famous poet and playwright had a checkered history, but ended up being received into the Catholic Church on his deathbed. Today we commemorate another famous convert, the man who became known as the Apostle of the Gentiles. St. Paul is a fascinating character, so intelligent, so zealous, so brave. He knew the Mosaic law inside out. He was a master of rhetoric and rabbinical argument. He had enormous faith in God and the courage to seek, as he saw it, to correct any erroneous interpretation of Jewish beliefs. That's on the positive side. Yet, as Oscar Wilde put it, the only difference between the saint and the sinner is that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. St. Paul, it could be said, had a darker past. Years ago, I heard a well-known Catholic speaker who himself had undergone a major conversion in his life, liken St. Paul to some militant National Front activists. The speaker had once been a member of a white supremacist political organisation. What about Saul of Tarsus? Saul's zeal to arrest and severely punish, indeed to go so far as to stone Christian believers, seems to conjure up the worst sort of images in our mind. Unfortunately, xenophobia and racism, while sometimes employed as labels to destroy personal reputations, too frequently are realities that inspire fear in minority groups. 
Christians began as a minority group within Israel. Paul was utterly committed to destroying what he saw as a heresy, if necessary, by force. Ironically, it was the same zealous Jew who ended up being God's chosen instrument to spread the good news of Christ well beyond the bounds of Judaism, even unto Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. Not, however, before he witnessed and condoned the execution of St. Stephen, the church's first martyr. As St. Luke writes in chapter 7 of the Acts of the Apostles, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears, and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Since Stephen was given a short life, a limited amount of time in which to make an impact, and he certainly did, among other things, by praying for the conversion of his persecutors, including Saul of Tarsus. Few of us will be called to suffer death for the Christian faith, yet all of us are called to be witnesses to the truth and to put in the necessary effort to discover and rediscover and deepen in the truth. St. John Henry Newman has a rather interesting take on St. Paul that differs from the Catholic speaker and writer I mentioned earlier. Why was mercy shown to Saul the persecutor, Newman asks. Paul himself gives us the reason which we may safely make use of. I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. So he wrote to St. Timothy. And why was he enabled to preach the gospel? Because Christ counted him faithful. Saul was ever faithful, according to his notion of the way of the Lord. Doubtless he sinned deeply and grievously in persecuting the followers of Christ. Had he known the Holy Scriptures, he never would have done so. He would have recognized Jesus to be the promised Saviour, as Simeon and Anna had from the first. But he was bred up in a human school and paid more attention to the writings of men than to the Word of God. Now, Newman could be writing about a great many of us when he talks about being bred in a human school and paying more attention to the writings of men than to the Word of God. Our age doesn't do God. It has switched off, retracted its spiritual antennae, withdrawn from the light of God's word. The consequences are enormous. On an individual level, acute spiritual underdevelopment, religious illiteracy, and severe anxiety. On a social level, family breakdown, 
antisocial behaviour and all kinds of phobia. No doubt there are many possible human explanations, but surely at a deeper level we must acknowledge that the crises of our age are due to a radical alienation from God and from one another. The other day I was invited to have a conversation with a group of fine young men who in their school have been assigned the task of being leaders in the faith. They talked about how society had become atomized, how mental illness or depression and anxiety affected one in five men, and how we need to reconnect with God and with each other, much like generations before us who used to grow up in communities in a natural way through the practice of religion. Together with their teachers, they were organising moments of prayer and reflection for fellow students with the school chaplain, as well as breakfasts to enable students' dads to meet other students' dads. Great initiatives. Community is so important, as is family, religion and prayer. Saul or Paul's age contrasts with our own in that back then pretty much everyone did God. Nevertheless, I think that Newman's commentary on conscience, in the case of St. Paul's conversion, continues to speak to us across the centuries. In defense of Saul, he writes, Still, observe, he differed from other enemies of Christ in this, that he kept a clear conscience, and habitually obeyed God according to his knowledge. God speaks to us in two ways in our hearts and in his word. The latter and clearer of these informants St. Paul knew little of. The former he could not but know in his measure, for it was within him, and he obeyed it. That inward voice was but feeble, mixed up, and obscured with human feelings and human traditions, so that what his conscience told him to do was but partially true and in part was wrong. Yet still, believing it to speak God's will, he deferred to it, acting as he did afterwards when he was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, which informed him Jesus was the Christ. Hear his own account of himself, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. After the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. And Newman comments, Here is no ease, no self-indulgent habits, no willful sin against the light. In our day too, I think we have to acknowledge that there are many conscientious people. There are some who would move mountains in order to save the mountains, planet Earth and this world's biodiversity, there are people who welcome immigrants, who are dedicated husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, who are exquisite professionals, who go out of their way to help generously those in need. And there is no shortage of folk who are careful about what they eat and drink, lest it harm their health. There is no shortage of idealism in the 21st century, but Many of these people are nigh completely unaware 
of God's grace and the transformative potential of good doctrinal and spiritual formation of the power of God's word. Newman challenges all of us, especially Christians, to examine our consciences. Who has not felt a fear, he asks, lest he be wandering from the true doctrine of Christ? Let him cherish and obey the holy light of conscience within him as Saul did. Let him carefully study the scriptures as Saul did not. And the God who had mercy even on the persecutor of his saints will assuredly shed his grace upon him and bring him into the truth as it is in Jesus. Recall again that the transition of Saul, the persecutor of Christians, to St. Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles, is the consequence of God's mercy, of course, but also of prayer, St. Stephen's prayer. So while Newman emphasizes that St. Paul might have had a better grasp of scripture and would have better and you know naturally and more logically immediately recognized Christ as Simeon and Anna did behind St. Paul's conversion there is another factor there is the prayer of St. Stephen strange indeed it was says Newman and what it would have been St. Stephen's thoughts could he have known about Saul's conversion. The prayers of righteous men avail much. The first martyr had power with God to raise up the greatest apostle. Such was the honour put upon the first fruits of those sufferings upon which the church was entering. Thus from the beginning the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. Stephen, one man, was put to death for saying that the Jewish people were to have exclusive privileges no longer. But from his very grave rose the favoured instrument by whom the thousands and ten thousands of the Gentiles were brought to the knowledge of the truth. When Almighty God would convert the world, opening the door of faith to the Gentiles, who was the chosen preacher of his mercy? not one of Christ's first followers. To show his power, he put forth his hand into the very midst of the persecutors of his son and seized upon the most strenuous among them. The prayer of a dying man is the token and occasion of that triumph which he had reserved for himself. His strength is made perfect in weakness. We should never doubt the efficacy of prayer. It is an intention very dear to the prelate of Opus Dei, the anniversary of whose election we celebrated two days ago. In a letter written on the 22nd of January, he observes, In my recent messages, I have referred to the need to pray for several intentions, for peace in the world, especially in the Holy Land, Ukraine and Russia, for the Church, during these days we are asking especially for Christian unity, and for the work, the revising of the statutes and the work weeks. Although I know that you are keeping these very much in mind, because we all feel that they are very much our own, 
In this first message of the year, I would like to encourage you to intensify your prayer for these intentions. The Father then goes on to quote a short phrase from St. Josemaria, Prayer, this is our strength. We have never had any other weapon. Before adding, all the dimensions in our life can become a constant dialogue with God. Therefore, at any moment, we can raise our requests to heaven. This is a reality that fills us with hope because we know that despite the difficulties in the world and our personal limitations, our Lord always listens to us. Only he can offer us deep joy, both in the adversities and the joyful moments that accompany us day after day. Think of that. Deep joy. Our Lord can offer us this if we pray to him, always, despite difficulties, despite our personal limitations. He can offer us a deep joy, both in the adversities and the joyful moments that accompany us day after day. Seems counterintuitive. How could one possibly experience joy? Least of all, a deep joy in adversity. And yet that's what he says. And it's deep because one has to dig deep to discover the meaning behind suffering. One has to rejoice in our sufferings as St. Paul did because they're an opportunity for us to unite ourselves to Christ's suffering on the cross, to co-redeem, to bring about the conversion of souls our own in the first place. So all the dimensions of our life can become a constant dialogue with God. Saint Josemaria had such a vivid sense of divine filiation that he felt the presence of God's love continuously as a tangible reality. Moreover, he taught that all baptized Christians could experience this same tangible love through the sanctification of their ordinary, daily, family, social and professional duties. What happens to you and me and those around us on any particular day is an occasion for encountering Christ. What we need to do is realise that time is not ours. It's a gift from God. We've got to use it well. Surely, not too far from us are to be found other Pauls and Paulines whom God is calling to his service, but they need someone to invest time in befriending them, in listening to them, in praying for them, in helping them in their studies or professional work or indeed in family life. Where would St. Paul have been without Ananias? Who removed the scales from his eyes. Or his friend Barnabas, who introduced him to the disciples. Recall that Saul was busy plotting to arrest Jews belonging to the way, men or women, so that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. On the road to Damascus, he experienced a light flashing around from heaven and heard Christ's voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Saul had to be docile to Christ's instruction. But he also needed to meet Ananias and Barnabas. All of us need friends. You and I are God's chosen instruments to connect other souls to God. Pope Francis describes friendship as one of life's gifts and a grace from God. Through our friends, the Lord refines us and leads us to maturity. Faithful friends who stand at our side in times of difficulty are also a reflection of the Lord's love, his gentle and consoling presence in our lives. The experience of friendship teaches us to be open, understanding and caring towards others, to come out of our own comfortable isolation and to share our lives with others. For this reason, there is nothing so precious as a faithful friend. Friendship, one of life's gifts and a grace from God. Saul was so fortunate to meet Ananias and Barnabas. All of us need friends. You and I are God's chosen instruments to connect other souls to God. We have it from the top. We have it from Pope Francis. The experience of friendship teaches us to be open, understanding and caring towards others. To come out of our own comfortable isolation and to share our lives with others. And this is something that in the modern developed, economically developed world that, you know, it leaves a lot to be desired. Friendships are sometimes hard to come across, true deep ones. We have any number of acquaintances whom we might meet for professional or social reasons, but to count a person as a friend, well, that requires a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of listening. Flexibility, being ready to change our plans in order to make the most of opportunities that come our way. Someone starts opening up to us in a conversation, we don't have time for them. Well, an opportunity is burned. Supposing Ananias had been too busy to receive Saul when he'd been sent by our Lord to visit him in Straight Street. Supposing Ananias had other plans. 
friends and family visiting or work to do or maybe you wanted to pray because sometimes well we can excuse ourselves from deepening in friendships because well we're doing a good thing we're, we're praying you know it's very good to pray but with order it's quite compatible to build up friendships and lead a very healthy spiritual life as a Jew Paul had pursued Christians to capture and punish them as a convert from Judaism Paul found that the Jews were pursuing him to kill him but he escaped in Damascus his disciples took him by night and let him down over the wall lowering him in a basket when he had come to Jerusalem he attempted to join the disciples and they were afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple but Barnabas took him and brought him to the Apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus but really Barnabas's example is, is edifying how he took Paul under his wing how he supported him when others had been afraid when others cast a lot of suspicion and doubt on the reality of his being a disciple of Christ after all his crimes against Christ's disciples but Barnabas had believed in Paul's testimony his account of having seen the Lord on the road our Lord has spoke to him and not only that but Paul had immediately gone about preaching boldly in the name of Jesus and so if you and I come across truth seekers from whatever background they may look different from us they may smell different from us they may speak a different type of language to us use slightly different expressions may not be versed in the precise Catholic doctrinal definitions perhaps we've had the good fortune to learn through catechesis ourselves but they're seeking the truth and they want to have a better grasp of it well let's not refuse them our help let's not deny them our time let's pray for them many souls are seeking Christ there are so many people coming looking for baptism baptized persons looking for confirmation people who've stop practicing coming back years later wanting to know more about Christ about this Jesus who has left such a remarkable impact on the history of the world 
who has taught us so much the new commandment of love the importance of giving God what belongs to him and to acknowledging rightful legitimate civil authority the respect that is due to it and so many other things that Jesus has done above all giving up his life for us on the cross this is what has inspired people like St. Paul people like St. Stephen the church's first martyr <coughs> excuse me people like St. Barnabas to really go out of their way to proclaim the good news and to do so tirelessly a new school year a new academic term the story of St. Paul's conversion can inspire us to make better use of our time to be docile in spiritual direction to get to know our Christian faith better to deepen in our friendships and in the words of St. Rosa Maria pray that all may receive the faith which is a grace a divine gift. St. Paul, pray for us. Mary, Queen of Apostles, intercede for us. I give you thanks, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask you for help to put them into effect. My Mother Immaculate, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.